Hi, this is Neil Warren, also known as Maximus Knives, and you are listening to the Work For It podcast. Welcome to the Work For It podcast, guys. This is an interview with the one and only Maximus Knives, Neil Warren, one hell of a guy, one of my best buddies around in the knife making world just because we talk back and forth all the time and honestly how many times have i ended our phone conversation and be like dude this could have been a fantastic podcast like all of them (laughs) i know right Right. i know i know so yeah i just thought it'd be really cool to interview you so hey here we are how you doing neil i'm tired man (laughs) i'm tired why are you tired what's going on man it's been it's been a week already we're starting we're recording this on tuesday instead of monday because my day job has been running me <laughs> sideways. A little bit of yeah. backstory for this interview, guys. So basically what ended up happening is we were supposed to do this last night, and we got Neil all set up. He's in this fancy you know, setup, so he's got really good internet and a good microphone. We got him ready. We got him set down. We're just about to hit this record button, and you got called back into work. Yes, I did. Ugh. I did not actually get home until 11 o'clock because I still had to go to the store after work and all that kind of fun stuff. Oh, boy. Yeah. Rough. But, yeah, man, so other than, you know, doing your grueling day job, how's how's working your workshop been? Hot. (laughs) (laughs) Even worse. I don't know. Not really even worse, to be honest. It's just it's hard because um, this summer's been brutal, as everybody knows. Wah, wah, wah. But. I don't have a fancy insulated shop or anything like that, as a lot of us don't. Um, I'm not in. A, I'm not in a garage either. Uh, quick little backstory, uh, just jumping, jumping back and back. Uh, my shop. I originally started in a small shed that was at my uh, parents, my family's house. I feel I mean, that. And you, you know how that is. Um, it yes, was actually, <laughs> it was actually a smaller space than you even have. I literally would just turn straight around, not even take a step to use tools. So I was crammed in there, and it was pretty hot. It was warm, um, but it did have a uh, what they call like a pole barn or like a lean-to over the top of it. So there was an air gap, right? So there, were, the direct sunlight wasn't just right on top of the shed itself the house i'm in now has a bigger shop which is great it used to be a barn but it was like a shanty barn (laughs) that they built just to house one horse um and so it's just nothing but metal tin walls with no insulation or anything so the and the sun is on it in the evening at the hottest part of the day Mm. um and so it just turns into a bake uh, just a a bakery of an oven that's what i'm trying to think of it's yeah. been hot. I've been out in the heat today. I almost had a heat stroke earlier. It was great. Oh, my God. Um, yeah, yeah, so <laughs> yeah, you you have one hell of a day job. Why don't you go ahead and tell us about that? Well, it's it's not as exciting as some people's. It's not as exciting as some people's, but um, I work in water utilities. I, wor- I talked about it a little bit on another podcast, but yeah, um, I work in water utilities. So part of, I do a lot of things with it, but um one of the things I do is maintain um, water treatment plants um, for wastewater and for freshwater. Nice. Um, so I make sure the water going in is clean and the water going out is clean <laughs> uh, is kind of the best way to sum it up. Um, but there's a lot of outside work. Um, if there's a broken pipe in the ground, 
we got to dig it up and fix it. Um, so that can be fun, <laughs> to say the least. Um, today, fun, is an, fun is an F word, but I don't know if it's the correct F word. No, that it, should, it should be it should be a four-letter word. They should have added yes. an extra U in there or something. <laughs> no, but, you know, like today was going smooth. Everything was great. And then I had a flat. Mm, and it was 96 bro. degrees. And the only place I had to pull over was off the highway at a business. And... Um, it was on concrete and the concrete was soaking up the heat. So, mm. and I'm not a tiny guy. If anybody's met me, I'm six foot tall and 270 pounds. So I don't just slide underneath vehicles very easily. <laughs> so I was trying to shimmy and wedge myself under there and using all the factory jacks and all the stuff Ooh. that's really not designed very well for it. And I, of course I didn't have a drink with me. So <laughs> yeah, all the, all the best scenario. Oh, boy, I'm, I'm glad you made it out alive because yeah. I mean, that's, that's crazy. Now yeah. I always figure you know, Texas being kind of, you know, there's a lot of friendly people down there. I'm surprised nobody, you know, pulled aside and tried to help you. Well, I was kind of pulled up in this driveway of this business and it's a long driveway. It's a place that oh. uh, rents big, uh, big equipment, like huge equipment. Um, they rent and sell huge equipment. And you a guy did kn- stop, a guy that worked there, actually, right when I was finally getting the wheel on, <laughs> and I had everything finger tightened and ready to tighten it up with the little wrench that was there, he pulled up and goes, hey, man, you want to use my impact? That's pretty much what he sounded, <laughs> what he sounded like. And uh, no, I don't talk like that, but I can. But no, um, yeah, he was like, and he, he had a cordless impact with him, and he didn't have the right size socket. So I was like, it's cool, but I, you know, I appreciate it. I just finished it up but i mean so yeah people are going to stop to try to help you know if i had a skirt on and my figure was a little different i probably would have had more people stopping to help but well you know it is what it is you're you're everyone sees the big burly guy on the side of the road it's like oh no he's got this Mm -hmm. he's good Mm -hmm. yeah but yeah so dude i have been looking through your instagram today and you make some gorgeous knives this i mean first of all we we can talk about the folder all you want that thing is gorgeous gorgeous that thing is amazing thank you yeah that that one was my i I, it's like i you know i had a dream kind of thing and um yeah i've been making fixed blades i kept telling people you know one day i might do a folder or something i don't know and i just caught that bug man and Mm. I had, I just literally, I was walking in, I was looking for some scrap pieces to tack up so I could uh, forge weld them together. And I came across some Baker Forge and Tool Damascus that I had made a chef ah. knife out of. Ah, yeah. <laughs> some bronze chevron. Oh boy. San Mai. So it's bronze chevron Damascus with an 80 CRV2 core. Gorgeous stuff. I love the way it etches and everything. When I had first ordered it from them, here's the trick to that particular billet. (laughs) When I ordered it from them, I had them. I'm still learning about stuff as far as Damascus and um, the amount of. uh, I'm I'm learning stuff with Damascus. The little nuances, like you want to leave something for the grinder. You know, don't don't make it as even almost as thin as you want. Like if you want a three thirty seconds blade. Like at the spine, you might want to start off with like an eighth or maybe even five thirty seconds. You know, yeah. you want to leave some for the grinder to get through any kind of, you know, forge scale or decarb or anything like unless, that. So, unless you want that brute to forge outside, of course, you know, but 
you yes. want to get through that that hazing that will happen for right sure. right so yeah. like i said there's there's some steps that i'm learning to take and stuff like that still because i still don't do damascus on every single knife um but yeah and i've got a couple of friends uh fairly close well, within 40 minutes that have presses and power hammers so oh. i'm not in a bad way for them but it, in a way but i i really really want some so i don't have to drive 40 minutes one direction just to use a press that somebody else you know what i mean it's like no i hear you it, it just kind of gets to where you feel like you're a burden even though they have a great time with you over and you know how it is when smiths sure. get together you're all going to make stuff but but yeah so like say that folder came to fruition because i had that piece of uh leftover baker forge and tool damascus that i happened to find in my scrap pile and i just i i put it in my hand and was like that's big enough for a friction folder and there it is i drew i just i don't do a whole full sketch usually like I, i'm one of those people like if i get something in my head like i can take what's in my brain and pretty much make it without having to draw it out wow. um it's something I've done since I was a kid. We'll get into some backstory here in a minute as far as my artistic abilities. Yeah, we're gonna <laughs> but, need to hear about little, you know, Neil Warren. Yeah, little course. Neil Warren. He was he was a rascal. <laughs> <laughs> but so, but yeah. So like I said, I looked at it and I was like, huh. And I just drew the shape on it with the sharpie and ground it out, poked a hole in it in the wrong spot, and then <laughs> then realized that when I was doing some mechanics and I moved the hole over a little bit and made it bigger, so that hole disappeared essentially. And uh, used a quarter-inch stainless pen, which I've seen you do, and uh, on your folders. And see, I made the mistake with my. I've made now three folders, and all of them use brass pins. I thought you used stainless on it. Oh no, no, I didn't. We talked about using stainless, yes. and you didn't, and that's why it stuck in my head. Right, because I already had brass at the house, and I was like, "Nah, see, I need stainless." I I love the idea of stainless. Well. Stainless is definitely the way to go, but yeah. I just was kind of worried about being able to peen that over. I knew that brass moves super easy, and these were just like little throwaway projects that will never go to customers. So right, I figured, you know, hey, I'm going to start off a little bit easier, make sure it works before I spend the time to really put in good materials on it. Right, so, right. But yeah, yeah like stainless. Say, my, 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 yeah, my brain kind of was thinking that because, like I said, I had some sitting there, and I was like, well, I don't have to order anything, and. Um, yeah, but like I said, I got some, uh, some 416 stainless rod. It actually, I want to say it peens kind of easy once you get a little aggressive with it. Okay. <laughs> like not crazy aggressive, but a little aggressive. You just got to hit it a whole bunch. Yeah. Um, but like you yourself experience, it's like everything's loose. Everything's loose. Everything's loose. It's now tight, you know, so <laughs> it's like one or two hits between, you know, loose two hits it's perfect two hits too tight <laughs> exactly and you're not about to just back off on the stainless no but, and no, no. and with it being that kind of damascus with the 80 crv2 core i definitely wanted a hard metal so it's not going to wallow out the yes. pivot pin that makes sense um which of course is you know and so yeah but the other thing is when i was peening that stainless chunk in there because the whole thing's barely thicker than that stainless pin I had put natural, real, honest to God, abalone, <laughs> that yeah. beautiful blue shiny stuff on there is real abalone shell. It's not fake stuff. It's mm -hmm. not cheap. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> so I had put that on there already 
and had it. I had it. I had kind of semi recessed the on. pin. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I'm just now realizing you had the abalone there, which is fragile as all fragile gets. Yes. And you're peening it over while, with stainless, where you have to hit it hard. Yes. Oh my God, Neil. <laughs> yeah. You know. You know. You know. It's like the buffer. So. 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 We'll, we'll talk about the buffer here in a minute too, but so, oh, <laughs> so no, so like really, yeah, exactly. So I had to put down a rag on my anvil and I put the pin in okay. <laughs> and I start tapping very easily like it's brass. And right. I'm, I mean, there's the thing called pucker factor. If you've ever heard about that, <laughs> yep. <laughs> I could, I could have sucked a vacuum on a black hole. <laughs> I was I was like, uh, oh, I was beating up sweat and trying to pay attention to what I was doing. Oh, and boy. I kept trying to move the blade to make sure and, and like I said, and, I, and flipping it with it still kind of loose and trying to keep it lined up. Mm-hmm. But one thing I thought about was like, okay, well, I put the abalone there. Then I drilled out the abalone so it was flush with the pinhole. I was okay. like, no, I need to. So I grabbed my bigger drill bit and I reset, basically tapped it just enough to recess it to where I got myself about a 30 second the leeway so that when I peened it down and it mushroomed, it wouldn't mushroom out into the abalone and spider it everywhere. Gotcha. Yeah. Technicalities first folder. Yeah. Why not go all the way with all the hardship? You know, <laughs> I was going to say most people, if they're doing something for the first time, they use like G10 and a piece of scrap. And, you know, <laughs> I mean, I guess technically you used a piece of scrap. It just happened to be like the most <laughs> expensive piece of scrap that you yeah. had in the shop. I used, I used the most expensive piece of scrap that I could have actually made a hidden tang paring knife out of. And, you know, yeah. Yeah, you know. <laughs> and then I used vintage paper micarta. And oh, then, yeah. Just throw the vintage in there, the too. The vintage, you know. And then uh, I used the Tiffany Blue G10 for the middle spacer and the stop. So when you fold it in, it stops. I put like a like a swoop in the bottom so the blade like rests down on it. Mm. And then when you flip it around, and it, quite frankly, it stays there without that. But... Um, it just kind of, it's nice. It gives you like a little a firm little click. Now, but, are you sure that this is your first one? Because this is like pro level shit you're doing on your first one. No, I know. No, well, okay. So what I did was before I put all those parts together, I made a cardboard template. Okay. So I used an eyelet that you would use in Kydex for the pinhole because it's a quarter inch hole. Oh. So I, I just took some square pieces, literally rectangular pieces of thin cardboard. I poked a hole in both of them, stuck it over my uh, my knife in the middle, kind of drew with a marker or a pen on there, cut it out with scissors, and literally trimmed everything up with scissors and made it all, okay, this is how I want it. Then I took some CA glue and all the internal parts, the stop pin, the stop, the stop shim, and the I don't know what the real name for it is. I'm going to call it a stop shim because it's a we'll shim. We'll call it on a the, stop shim. Yeah, the stop shim on the other end. Sure. I, I, you know, made that. I made the stop pin and everything out of cardboard and glued it all in with with basically a scale, then all the parts glued in, and then glued on the other scale, then stuck the blade in there and put the eyelet through. And it's like, okay, this will work, you know? And mm. then trimmed up how I wanted the shape to be. Then I took that and transferred it over to the paper micarta so I could cut out the scales, which I don't work with stuff typically that small, and my hands are not tiny, so... <laughs> That was a challenge also, which I yeah. like. 
So I've already got some other ones set up that I'm going to do. And um, shout out to Rob's Wildwood. I was able to finagle a deal with him to get a lot of end cuts off of his stabilized wood. So I got some real thin pieces of really nice burl woods that are dyed, um, ancient bog oak, all that kind of stuff that I can make little thin laminate uh, scales with for folders. Dude. See, when I did my folder, I just did like a forged friction folder. So the body was one piece of, actually it was a piece of angle iron that I, I fold over, just like Jeff Fader does. Right. And basically I went that route and you know it's it's a little bit more difficult because you have to get that spacing just right you can't you right. have to make it nice and parallel i love the idea of having the the piece together you know style like you're doing honestly if i do more uh friction folders that's definitely the way to go oh then that's my whole thing now the benefits to doing the metal is that when you're painting and and the the pin the pin is mushrooming on the inside yes. now Okay, if you use like real thin, like my next one's going to have real thin burlwood scales, you run the risk of cracking those, right? Oh, yeah, so I guess so. So I'm going to have to run a, G to a thin G10 liner for reinforcement. So you got to think about the structures of everything, you know? See, that's that's what, you know, deters most people away from getting into folders. Is It's all these little intricate things that you just, you know, a, a, um, I think I said it before where basically when you have a you know, fixed blade, if you screw up a little bit, you can still make a fixed blade look good. If yeah. you screw up ever so slightly on a friction folder, that thing's not going to close right. You're going to have something drastically wrong where it's not going to function. Right. Or it could make it dangerous because it's, uh, you know, uh, what do you call it? Um, if it folds wrong. Yeah. Like it folds wrong or something. <laughs> Well, that's what I'm saying. We I'm, both we both totally had brain farts. We're like, yeah. uh, <laughs> my brain, my brain just it's like I said, I've been out in the heat. I've been, dude, you've had to, a long day. You yeah, know, it's, it's crazy, but <laughs> but no, yeah, like say it can, it's something <laughs> like that. I mean, it's literally to the point where you're making something that's sharp and moving. Right. So, right. And I'm a, a quick little jump back into my youth. I'm an Eagle Scout, so I spent a lot of time camping with knives that's where a lot of my knife use background and how to design a knife for a certain thing comes from sure um so i've had knives that were cheap that were folders that you know i mean you could blow on them and they would close on your finger because they weren't built right they didn't have enough tension on the back spring and all that mm. kind of stuff so gotcha you know what I mean? Like I said, it doesn't take much. It does not take much at all to make a pile of garbage that you can sell for $5 at a gas station. But, but you know, you, you're you not going to let something like that out of your shop. And also, like, no. if you're going to put that much time and effort into it, that thing better be sexy. And this one that you may put out is absolutely gorgeous. Now, do you want to talk about the, you know, who it's going to? Because that's that's a cool story as well, because <laughs> a little bit of backstory, guys. Uh, this is pre-recorded, so this thing, will, this episode probably won't come out for about a month or so. So whoever's getting this will already have it. So I think and, we can kind of spoil it because they don't have it yet. And this is the maiden voyage for the interviews. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Hopefully it's not going to be the Titanic. <laughs> just watch this thing go down it, we're no, gonna hit the it's, iceberg it's gonna we're be gonna awesome crack it's gonna be half. awesome no shut your mouth no yeah <laughs> um yeah so i made it for 
technically Sarah House, Brian House's wife. That's awesome. That's because, so cool. And now if anybody has seen the post, there is like a challenge coin slash medallion with it. That's made with the same materials and matches it. Minus mm-hmm. the abalone because I, quite frankly, I didn't have enough to put there. Um, <clears throat> sorry. You're good. You're good. And I wanted to put something out there for her because... Everybody knows Brian House. Very, right, I would say, right. less people know about his wife Sarah. And you gotta imagine, in, right? Go ahead. Sorry, what, I'm yeah, gonna stop no, interrupting you. You gotta, you gotta imagine what he does, how much work he puts in, everything he does for the community. He could not do that without her. So even mm-hmm. though he's a a pillar in the maker community, she's the base of that pillar, a hundred percent. And if you ever hear him talk about her, that's how he feels about her, I think, as well. Oh, yeah. And I know I've seen posts. There was one recently where he had opened a knife and I heard her in the background going, oh, I got a new knife. And he's like, "Uh oh, this is mine. (laughs) And it triggered in my head. She should have something really nice as well. There you go. Dude, you are just the greatest guy. How many people think, you know, I love Brian House, but, you know, Brian's wife really needs something to call all her own that's absolutely badass. Like, there's so few people out there that would think to, you know, most people are giving gifts, like, to Brian or or people of stature because they want to get in and on something or, you know, get right. into their they, mind. They, they want to see him open it on a, on a video or something right. like that. You know, but yeah. I, I love the fact that you're, you're not thinking about, you know, giving a gift so that you, you yourself will get into their hands. You're giving a gift to their wife because you just think that she needs it. And I, dude, that just proves how much of a giant Texas, Texas heart you've got. I love that. Man. <laughs> well, I appreciate it. Like I said, that's, and that's the other thing with the, medallion coin challenge coin that goes with it is something he can always carry sure in his pocket if he wants to that's a part of that so it's kind of like a connected set you know <laughs> we don't want brian to get jealous you know all the way jealous no no he's, <laughs> he's gotta have something nice too <laughs> good for you man i i love the fact that you're doing that so cool so it's cool. just you know it just it's one of those things that it doesn't always happen so don't be knocking my door down for free stuff <laughs> but i just you know it, not to get into any kind of taboo taboo talk about you know things you don't talk about on podcasts but everybody's whether it's something you believe in whatever your belief system is be it something of the universe something of Christianity, something of anything. If you feel a heavy draw to do something, there's typically that voice telling you to do that. Mm-hmm. Even if you're going, I could sell this and make a lot of money. Sure. And I could. Yeah, <laughs> but, yeah I can tell you right now, you could sell that for a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> but but it's one of those things where I'm going, that's not what my draw was. That was, that was not why I even started making that. As soon as I picked that up and I drew that on there, I knew it was going to be for somebody. I just didn't know who yet. Yeah. And it all just kind of came to fruition and there it goes. Good for you, man. Absolutely so, good yeah. for you. I do it. I do. It happens from time to time. I can't, I can't, you know, no rhyme or reason. It just kind of is what it is. But yeah. Um, yeah. Like I say, that's just one of those things. I don't know. <laughs> just one of those things. <laughs> that's cool. 
so switching gears a little bit, we have been talking a little bit about this project that you've been working on about basically one of one of the things that I have found in my shop that I, I really had to practice at a lot and still screw up at is hot stamping my maker's mark onto my blades. Yep. Now, the process I have is basically I have some vice jaws that are, you know, always on this little circular um, hot stamp and it's set up at a kind of an angle and basically I have to pull out my knife real quick and throw it on the anvil and line it up the best I can and spend between, you know, two and five seconds trying to get the thing nice and level and then hit it. And then almost every single time I can point out, well, that's a little bit crooked or that side should have been a little bit, or you get an off, off kilter hit a little bit. And you have come up with, I think, the best design I've seen to fix that problem. Yeah. And yeah. it also has a great name. So go, go ahead <laughs> and does. tell us about it. Yeah, I'm going to call it the, um, the Maximus Knives Max Grip Stamp Jig. So yes, sir. it's a universal, so... There are hot stamp jigs out there. Most people make them for themselves. Right. To fit their hot stamp. This one has a, a main block of and it's made of aluminum so it won't rust in your shop. And then it's got a sliding back plate that um you know with sides. It's basically like a piece of C channel and with a slot in the sides and stainless button head bolts. So <clears throat> excuse me. So that uh, back sliding piece can slide up against the block and pinch your hot stamp up against the block and it's straight up and down and then all you got to do is slide your knife under there and I also designed it with a quarter inch shelf so if you need another quarter inch of give you've got it and a quarter inch thick so if you run up to a quarter inch thick knife to hot stamp you can slide it underneath that little shelf and you just put your hot stamp on top you're and the only thing that you can still screw up is if you don't line your blade up right. But sure. having a squared back helps you visually line it up, you know. Right, right. So and like it, say, it, it helps you line it up in that hurry because you're you're pulling it out right, right. hot and you need and you're to get it stamped heat. before yeah. you lose the heat. Yeah. And and then you're not holding it awkward. It's there. It's right? just sitting there for you to hit. You're not worried about hitting your hand or anything like that. One of the other reasons I chose, <laughs> right? Yeah. One of the other reasons I chose um, aluminum is because if you do miss it because you blinked or sneezed or whatever, you're not going to destroy whatever hammer. Most people don't use a nice hammer to hot stamp with, but you're not going to oh. destroy your hammer. So I you know. shouldn't use my forging hammer for this. <laughs> you can. I mean, it's a hammer, whatever you know. But right. it's. <clears throat> It, but you know what I'm saying? Like, it's one of those things where if you miss hit, you're not going to hurt the face of a hammer. You're going to dent the aluminum and and whatnot. So, yeah, that yeah. should be actually coming out pretty quick. Um, I'm talking with a few suppliers because there's nothing like this on the market at all. Right. Um, hopefully, by the time this comes out, they'll be, we'll be well on the way. <clears throat> I'm also... Sorry again for that. Um, I'm good, also, no uh, I keep forgetting there's a mute button. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'll just keep this hovering right here if I need to clear my throat. There you go. Um, but there's also, uh, I've also already got some CAD design as well. So if you have a way to machine this out, because it is a machined part, um, you, I, I'm probably going to also sell the um, plans. Okay. Uh, so I'm working, I'm working on that as well. That's not 100% yet. But yeah, it's gonna. I mean, 
for the price point that I'm shooting for, it would almost be worth your time just to buy one. But if you want to make your own, cool. Sure, because um, you always got to give those people the option because there's yeah. always going to be a guy that's going to want to build it themselves. Maybe somebody wants to make one out of titanium pop. Whatever, sure, you know, why not? Shoot, cool. shoot your shoot your shot. You know, maybe uh, somebody wants to upsize it. I don't know. You know, personally, I'm going to go for the solid gold version, but you know, <laughs> right. that's that's just you know my the price range I can afford for sure. And 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 it's going to be <laughs> it's going to be just a price just a solid gold. The, <laughs> And the, the thing is, it's going to be made for a one-inch hardy hole. Now, like, I've got an Atlas anvil. It's like a 7 8 So, I mean, I had to do some trimming on my own, the sure. the OG prototype that I've been using. Um, but I've been using it. I've stamped 30 knives with it. And the only time that it's messed up is because of something I straight just didn't Screwed pay up. attention to. So, I hit, here's I, the thing, though. I hit, si- I hit sideways on the thing instead of straight down. I mean, that's my fault, you know? Here's the thing that is genius about even the material choice that you're using. First of all, it doesn't need to be absolutely rock solid steel because you know you're not hitting on this on this mechanism. You're hitting on the stamp. The stamp, the mecha- yeah. The the um, what is it? Max grip is only holding it, holding your stamp straight upright the way that you want it. You're, mm-hmm. you're actually hitting on the stamp. Mm-hmm. But if you do miss hit it, it is only aluminum, so like it's not going to like wedge itself in or you know the, it. If you do taper it so that it goes in just the way, even traditionally, you're not supposed to taper in your hardy hole tools. Right. But if you do with aluminum, the aluminum's going to give, it's not going to break your anvil. Exactly. Which I, I literally had to do. I, I kind of shimmed it in and then I tapped it on top with the eight pound sledge. And yeah, so. Man, that seems like one hell of a setup. You need to go into production, man. This thing yeah, seems I'm like getting, a hot commodity. I'm getting it there. I'm getting it there as fast as I can. Maximus knives with the max grip. That thing's yeah. gonna be dope. That thing's gonna be so cool. Yeah, working on it. Working so on it. So now that I've I'm I've gone through and I've looked at your stuff, the last thing you've been posting about, you you currently have a raffle going on, but I imagine by the time that this episode comes out it'll be long gone. But do you wanna talk about the knife that you made for that? Um, I hope it is too. Um yeah, I made a Tonto um, out of uh, Timber Tiger Forge ball bearing Damascus. And uh, I took that Damascus over to a buddy shop and I put a, I believe it was 1084 or 1085 um, core in the middle. And so I forged out a, uh, hold on just a second here. I forged out a Quaken style Tonto, which is not a traditional straight tanto it's it's got a slight curve to the whole thing oh, um gotcha but yeah and then i use vintage uh, natural micarta handles <laughs> and that was my first heirloom fit so you see the damascus all the way around the handle which is pretty sweet yeah and then i peened in copper pins and used a mosaic pin um on the uh, handle as well Man, one of the things, whenever I make a Damascus blade, I always think like, oh my gosh, I'm covering up this beautiful Damascus. What a shame. I love that that fit up so that it, you have just that little peaking Damascus all the way around that it just kind of shows it off. Yep, yep. And that's that's the, the great part about the heirloom fits. I was always worried about the comfort of them and stuff like that, but they're super comfortable. So, I mean, you only want to, the hardest part about, I would say that I learned that I thought was going to be the easy part about it um was rounding off the spine to where it's mm. like it where it rounds off and flattens back out 
you know, even though I took my calipers and I marked everything and, you know, I was like, okay, I just got to, you know, feather this round over to this one spot and stop. You know, it sounds super, super easy, <laughs> but, you know, you get a little too far here or there, you, you, you know, you just mess up just a little bit or it doesn't get as round or something. Anything can happen there. Sure. And then trying to trying to mark, it's like you profile the whole handle, then you got to mark the scales and grind in on those. Now, if you've got a router table, it's great because you can set up a fence with, say, like a eighth inch, you know, gap on the fence. So you just run your scales around and it trims the eighth inch off and you're good. Man, I've been telling myself the next tool I'm going to buy for my shop is a router table. Because even when you're fitting up normal handles, I always... I always glue on my handle material and then I, you know, go around at a 45 degree angle all the way around it just to start that rounding shape so that it gets to handle fit. Dude, how nice would it be to just have a routing table, just be able to whip that thing around real quick and not have to feather in those straight lines. Yeah. And wearing out belts to sit there and try to get exactly. the 45s. Yeah. Yeah. It, and, and routers are not, not terribly expensive, quite frankly. And I mean, you'd <laughs> just be using a 45 bit on it most of the time. Yeah. You know, a lot of guys just do that, you know, and I, I'm not saying that it's cheating because it's not, it's just a way to do something faster, Dude, but you know, you no... know me and you know me and my handles though. I get, I get, I get maybe, pretty, maybe I'm on the far extreme side because I do those production knives, but I truly feel that if you're doing this as a living, then anything you can do to make your process quicker, better, faster. I mean, as long as you're not like just straight up buying a knife off the internet and selling it as your own, right. like I, I feel like if you can get a tool that's going to make your life easier, you are stupid if you don't buy that tool. Oh, I a hundred percent guarantee. That's why I said, that's why I said it's not, I don't think it's cheating. You know, like I said, I was trying to cordon off that people go, oh, you just need to put a router on it. That's, it's not cheating. It's making it faster. Like right. if, if anybody doesn't know, you're about to learn. I don't have a single jig in my shop wow look at you not one and i'm not trying to brag about it i just haven't spent the money on them like most of the tools i buy i try to think of return on income sure but i've been forgetting and i've been doing this now for four and a half almost five years part-time but steady not like i made a knife six years ago and i started making knives again two years ago and gotcha. i'm gonna say i've been doing it for seven years or something you know You've but, always had a knife going, if not a batch. Exactly, for four and a half years. I have had gaps, like a couple of months with no orders or something before. Sure, but, sure, everybody gets you know, that. Yeah, starting out and all that kind of stuff. But um, yeah, it's 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 just one of those things where, um, you know, I just never really thought like, oh, I need to get a file guide. I'm like, I just need to learn how to do good bevels, you yeah. know. I need to learn how to use the edge of my platen to start my bevels in and just match them up. Now, is go. it is it journeyman Smith level? No, <laughs> you know, um, it's getting there. I'll be quite honest. I mean, I, I learned how to walk my bevels back in and all that kind of stuff, and sure, um, certain belts and stuff that I buy just to help with all that kind of stuff. But that you know, to get the plunge line on the bevel, should I say, and then like say just learning to do all that freehand i've gotten to where now if i even use my work rest for anything it actually takes me longer because mm. i'm not used to the way it feels so yeah, even though i do want sorry i didn't mean to keep going but but even though i do want something awesome like the true tilt that's an amazing work work surface that that brian house made 
it's amazing because it's literally just your typical 90 degree work rest if you want it to be but then you can flip it up and if you're doing any kind of hollows or anything like that it makes them a lot faster faster that's faster in reliability and yeah re and repeat repeatability that's what i meant to say not reliability i, I understood i understood <laughs> yeah, i was brent, trying, trying to save you there <laughs> brent smith came up with a fantastic idea with that with uh yeah, it's it's just so incredibly cool, and the fact that they're able to come up, you know, basically take that idea of that tilting table, kind of make it, you know, improve it in their own way, and then make it a a viable thing that basically you can just go onto housemade.us and pick one up, and it, I mean, they ship it to you. Yes, you have to weld it together a little bit, but. I mean, come on, that thing's yeah. so cool. Dude, what are we talking about them for? We're here for Neil. <laughs> but, well, no, just, you know, just products, you know what I'm saying? You yeah, know what I'm sure, saying? I'm sure, just, sure. just throwing a little shout out to the boys. Sorry. <laughs> I got you, I got you. <laughs> yeah, it's bald that, man, I got to. It's that heart to, of gold that you got there. Yeah, you're, you're, you know, I try to be humble here. and not talk about myself, even though I love to talk about myself, so. Well, let's talk just... a little bit more about you. <laughs> Okay, so, so I want to learn. Six foot tall, I'm, uh, husky, husky build. <laughs> hey, no. Whoa! I before like, we no. before we get no. to the peen length, let's go the ahead peen, and move on. The peen, I like a fat peen. No, uh, um, <laughs> no, but no. I mean, um, whatever size hammer you need, you know, you go ahead and do that. We we don't need to know. <laughs> right, right. Keep your hammer talk to yourself. Oh boy! So I want to kind of dive back into your history before we get sure. into like what got you into making knives. What just made you into a maker, a person? Was there something in your in your youth that kind of turned on that maker switch for you? Man, I'm gonna tell you what. Um, I think I was born with a wrench in my hand. There you go. There you <laughs> I'm, go. A, I'm a I'm a Lego kid. All the all the typical backstories, you know. Sure. Um, my best grades in school were in art class. Um, <laughs> cause it was easy, but, <laughs> but no, it, it's one of those things where it's like, I'm, 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 I'm one of those people that's like, I, I would get, I would get called into the counselor's office. I remember seventh grade specifically because we took IQ tests that year and they brought me and called my parents in. and I'm like, Oh my God, I didn't do anything wrong. You know? And the counselor sits us down and they're like, okay, so why are his grades like this? And they were like, what? And like, they were literally all over the board and I'm, they were A's, B's, C's. Like it could be one subject and like one, six weeks, I would get an A. The next six weeks I would get a C. And they were like, sure. what, what is this? I'm like, well, we were talking about the Renaissance period and how that affected poetry and all that stuff in English this six weeks. This was word composition. Who cares? You know? So it was like stuff that interested me and and challenged my brain was what I excelled in. But then when they tried to put me in the ex excelled classes, I didn't want to do the extra work because I thought it was bull crap because they were just putting on extra work that didn't make any sense. So I was one of those too smart for my own good kids, like, you know, fight the man. Like, you're just trying to make me do extra stuff. You know, so it was one of those things, but I always excelled in anything artistic. I would draw, like if I was doing a test and I couldn't remember the answer right off the top of my head, I would start drawing in the margins mm. and, you know, just whatever it was, I would start drawing and it would snap something in there and I would, oh, that's the answer. And I would put the answer down, pass the test. Cool. And my teachers would typically, the cool ones would grade my artwork and my test. 
<laughs> so it was like little comic strips all all you know all the way down sometimes even on homework it was which i rarely did because i usually would finish it the morning of but sure you know it's just one of those things where but literally since i was a little kid i always liked to work on things i would i got so mad one christmas my brother and cousin got 22 rifles and they got tools and i'm only two years younger than them and i was like yo i got books like I got books on space. I got books on dinosaurs. I got books on, you know, all kinds of stuff to learn. So that's why I have just a ton of useless knowledge because <laughs> I, I, I read them, you know, you know, books on animals, all these kind of different things. Sure. And so, but I always like to say, I always liked making stuff. So, but I was always drawing too. So like all these books with dinosaurs and animals and stuff like that, I would draw, you know, out, out of those. Um, and even in, I want to say, I want to say it was probably somewhere around um, eighth grade, eighth grade and going into freshman year, ninth grade, I started getting solo cups and filling them with plaster of Paris and I would take that out. Then I would start doing relief sculpture carvings. Oh, wow. Cool. Like um, totem looking stuff or the old man, the um, I call it old man beard, um, old man beard. <laughs> And, and why I say that, it's like not quite a gnome, but if you've ever seen any uh, um, walking cane art from back in the day, like mountain, mountain. No, I got you. I got you. Yeah. You know, you'll have like the old, it's like the old man tree look, you know? Yeah. But I would literally make a wood grain, and I used an X-Acto knife and all the different blades to carve in the plaster. And then I would take and paint them and sell them to people for like two bucks because, you know, sure. I didn't know. Right, right. And then come around to wood shop. My my wood shop project for my grade was a sculpture of a panther. Um, so I literally made layers of wood and carved a panther out of them. So that was fun, like a jumping, yeah. like like it was pretty much like a jaguar emblem, you know. Do you have any pictures of these things? I feel like I need to see. Dude, it. this is this is this is this is pre <laughs> this is pre social media and pre oh, smartphones. Yeah, of I mean, we're talking early '90s here, and there are maybe some pictures floating around somewhere, but I don't have any. See, um, maybe that's just because the difference between you know your mom and my mom is like whenever I did something, my mom like documented it. Yeah, my parents like, dude, that's cool, you know. Right, right. <laughs> I made my dad an anchor in metal shop, like a oh, look cool. like a legit out of diamond plate and angle iron, and painted it blue, and he never used it. Oh, well, yeah, well, because the sun made it. You got exactly, to keep that exactly. up and show I'm it. like, I made you an anchor. And that was the first experience I ever had with making something for someone to use and then thinking oh. it was too awesome to not use it. And it was, <laughs> he still got it to this day, actually. But um, it's all rusted and janky looking. But yeah, I mean, but he was so scared that if he dropped this, it was going to hang up on a branch and he'd have to cut it loose and never get it back. Oh, my God. Yeah. See, there, there's a good reason why he didn't use it. He wanted yeah, to. but. He wanted to hold on to something that his baby boy made, you know? Right. And I am the, I do have an older brother. I'm the baby. I'm the yep. biggest, I'm the biggest and I'm the baby. I don't get it. But yeah. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so like I said, I was always into making things. And now my uncle, um, I was born in Mississippi, um, in Greenville, Mississippi. And my fa my dad's parents were there. So every summer we would go back there and my uncle raced dirt track. So at the age of like 11, I was helping him in his shop mechanically, literally mechanically doing things on cars at 11 years old, okay. um, doing all the fun dirt track stuff. 
um, treading before they had really good dirt track tread tires. I mean, I was helping him tread bald tires and all kinds of stuff. It was, <laughs> it was pretty wild, but a really good education on mechanics. Sure. And of course, so that spawned into my teenage years being a car guy, you know, and all my friends are car guys and grease monkeys and stuff. And, but I was also in Boy Scouts. So from like the age of like 10 till 18, I did not miss, I think I missed two camp outs the entire time. And we went every single month, rain or shine. There you go. And so I spent a lot of time in the woods, a lot of time, like I said, like I said, working with knives and stuff like that. And I believe even in metal shop, if memory serves me right, I made not a knife because we weren't allowed to, but I made a letter opener out of like mild steel and <laughs> took it home and never put an edge on it. Like I, I made a profile of a buoy basically sure. and never did anything with it. Um, I did make jewelry. I made jewelry when I was in metal shop um, okay. and sold it, dude. I was, I was a. I was a young entrepreneur, dude. I, I lived in a very bad neighborhood. <laughs> and so what I would make is I would take and make um, steel. I would get some steel pipe and I would put knurling on it. You know what knurling is? Like the crosshatch. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So I'd put knurling on it and then I would sell those rings to kids to fight with. <laughs> so, <laughs> just one step down from brass knuckles exactly that's that's what made it legal is it was like it was just rings on each hand that they literally told us we could if they if we got caught with them we was going to go to jail they're just but, jewelry what are you talking it's about it's just jewelry it's just it's they the get in a fight with it it's not guys. my fault yeah it's yeah. you know but we I literally just like got them so much that i have I have them on every single finger. Yeah. Yes, and I didn't. I didn't wear them myself, but I made them and sold them to kids. And I'm selling. <laughs> and I'm selling these things for like fifteen bucks a pop. I was balling, you know. Me and my brother, uh, the house we stayed in was, it was small. It was this really old house, and next door was an old fish market building that was just falling apart. Sure. But what? And like I said, we lived in a very rough neighborhood. But what we would do, me and my brother, these kids started learning that we knew how to fix bicycles. Okay. So they would steal a bike. We knew we knew it was stolen, you know. But they would come swing by us and be like, "Hey, can you put the chain back on? Can you straighten the handlebars out and all this?" And we would charge them money. And or can you paint it? You know. So we would take sure. the wheels and chain and everything off. We would paint the bike and put it back together. So it was a, it's like chop shop for bicycles. That is, I mean. But we were making bank, dude. Me, okay, so me and my brother, my brother was about 15 at the time, 14, 15, and I was like 12, 13. Hold on. This totally changes my thought process. I figured like you're middle, maybe even higher high school doing this. No. Now you're a 12-year-old wrenching yes. on bikes, flipping them because, you know, yeah. your buddy down the street stole, stole no, it. No, that's the thing. They weren't even our buddies. They weren't even our buddies. They were these little like hoodlum gang kids. Oh, my were, God. Look at you, man. So we were, and, and that was the thing is we were just hustling these kids. Well, you know, not hustling them. They were just paying us to fix these bikes up. But my sure. dad, my dad and mom, one time, me and my brother were feeling so good. We had our little cigar box full of money. Sure. And my dad was like, hey, we're going to dinner. We're like, cool. So we go to wherever it was to dinner. And we didn't go out to dinner very often because we didn't have a lot of money. Sure. And me and my brother all swelled up with pride. We're like, we're paying this bill. We start slapping cash on the table. <laughs> and my dad's like, um, where did y'all get that? You know? <laughs> and we're like, no, we've been fixing people's bikes and stuff. And, and. Yeah, he, he got the gist real quick, and we were trying to uh, downplay it, and he was like, no more, no more. No, uh, you know. <laughs> My kid's not going to jail because of No, and it, to... we weren't trying to be bad kids. I we know. were just trying to, we were just trying, we weren't selling drugs or anything like that. We were just sure. hustling, we were just hustling money. Like I said, at the same time, I was in Boy Scouts at that age too, but, you know, like I said, I, I just, it was just one of those things, like we were just, we, 
didn't have jobs. I mean, I, I've worked basically that. And then my, that, that's when my dad got me hooked up mowing yards. He was like, Hey, no, <laughs> you know, let's get you, you want money. Let's get you working. But, um, but yeah, so like I say, all that just came from, from doing all that kind of stuff growing up, you know, I've always been that kind of like, I can fix it. I can make it. My dad was a handyman for a mobile home park for a while. So I learned how to put floors in, build decks, porches, all that kind of stuff. Sure. So, you know, heavy mechanical background to make a long story short <laughs> that I've already told. No, you're, I mean, I, first of all, you are a fantastic storyteller like that. One of the many reasons why I wanted you on one of the first episodes on this is because you have a way to tell a story. You're just so good at it. Honestly, I'm surprised you don't have a podcast yourself. You really should. Yeah, but I anyways, don't, I don't have time. I don't have <laughs> yeah, time. sure, sure, yeah. sure. So. Growing up, you had a lot of mechanical background. You had a lot of, you know, I can fix that. I can make that better. I can, you know, take your stolen bike and make it so nobody else can find you. (laughs) (laughs) So what was the thing that, what, when was it that you realized like, hey, I can take these skills and put it towards a bladed object that, you know, was it, was it the stereotypical, I wanted the perfect knife for myself, so I wanted to make it, or was it that, I guess. Go ahead and tell your story. No, okay. So what got me into knives, besides being someone that used them all the time, there was actually a small company that made handmade knives called Dead Moose Ops. DMO, Dead Moose Ops. Mm -hmm. And you can find them there on Instagram. A little shout out. Um, The original owner, Brian Cathy, me and him, just for whatever reason, kind of struck up a a acquaintanceship, friendship, whatever you want to call it. Mm -hmm. And I've never met him in person or anything, but... Um, I bought one of their big camp knives called the brute. I was like, Oh, I love this thing. It's great. And at the time, like it felt, I got that customer interactions. Cause I was like, I want a, they do Cerakoted blades. So I was like, I want the emblem to be like tan and I want the blade to be black and I want the handle to be, um, what they call multi-cam G10. It's like this wood woodland layered G10. That sounds badass. It's, it's great. And uh, they do like the rock texture handles and all that stuff. I was like, sweet. So I ordered one of those. It was expensive. Sure. <laughs> you know, and it came with a Kydex sheath with, with leather in it, which is where I learned that trick. If anybody saw the knife I was carrying at Blade Show, I had the leather and the Kydex. That's where I learned mm-hmm. it. And then about a year after carrying that 10-inch blade, it was huge, you know, and going on deck. <laughs> Yeah, it totally changes my thought process on this. Dude, it's, it's it was a blade. It's a quarter inch thick, quarter inch thick, ten ninety five oh cryo treated. Dude, it was okay. chunk, chunky. But it was a Brute camp. makes it was a lot. Camp, camp. The camp, name like a camp knife, like a true yeah. like beat it up camp knife. The um, name Brute makes a hell of a lot more sense now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's one of their biggest blades. It's like a small chunky thick machete. Yeah, um, right. I mean, I, I have felled. I have felled some trees with it that were about four inches thick you know whoa yeah um you know batoning it in and all but so i was talking to them and they have a smaller model called the breacher which is what sold me on the brand to begin with because they took the hood of a truck put it on some like stands and stabbed a breacher through it and batoned it with the the batoned it with a log and cut a big chunk of the hood and then like sliced paper with it and i was like no way Right. You know, so I'm like, this 1095 is magical stuff. And, I, you know, I didn't know anything about making knives at the time. And it is good steel. I'm just saying, like, it, I didn't know, you know, that it was 
that there are so many different steals and all these different things. But so what I did was I sat there and I was like, well, I like the breacher. I've already got a brute, but I'd love to have something with the swedge on it. Now I like the brute handle better than the breacher handle, but I like the length of that blade. So I talked to Brian and came up with this one that he now deems the crossbreed. So if you go on DMO, Dead Moose Ops, and look for the crossbreed, that's my brainchild and his design. There you go. So then I was like, I can design knives. You know, like my brain knows what a good knife is. That one actually even almost got picked up by the military. Whoa. Yeah. It was pretty, I think it was just the weight of it. It is chunky. Yeah. Um, but I've got the number one OG original DMO crossbreed. It's a little shorter than their actual production model, yada, yada. That's the one I wanted. And sure. which is great, you know, again, not a cheap knife, but, you know, I built that relationship and I got that experience, great customer service and everything. I was like, man, this is awesome. And it was, you know, the scales, the paint and everything matched my brute. So I have a match pair, all this, that and the other. And I've still got them both, of course. Um, I've actually almost cut the end of my thumb off with the uh, with the crossbreed. Um, well, you know, you don't really own a knife until you cut yourself with it. No, right? Yeah. And so, like I say, that kind of got my brain whirling then. And that was probably 10 years ago. And, of course, then after that, I started fall. Of course, I already followed... Uh, a couple of knife makers. And then my buddy said, hey, there's this, he knew I like knives and he knew about that story. And he goes, dude, there's a show on called Forge and Fire. You got to come sure. check it out. I didn't have it on my TV. He's like, come over, watch it. I was like, dude, that is awesome. I didn't know that people still forge knives out. I thought they were all just <laughs> like, you know, machined out. Sure. And he was like, no, it's so awesome. I was like, cool. Now, I didn't just jump and go, I can do that. You know, i literally watched it i've started following people like mareko neil kamimura um quite a yeah. few i'm just josh smith like people that i didn't know I, I didn't know the custom knife world and that was my introduction to all those people who i consider my introduction to the custom knife world and following them watching what they're making and being in awe on what they're making and then kind of seeing the process and when I was on Forge and Fire, they edited my thing. Like, oh, I watched the show when I was on there. That's not what I said. Yeah, that's <laughs> like one they, of the things I have. I have show notes. I, if you want to talk about the editing and what happened and what didn't happen, we we can get into all that. Stuff. Yeah, we'll we'll get to that in here just a minute because we I know all we're right. running we're running close to an hour here. So, um, dude, this is this is going to be at least a two hour podcast. <laughs> it's it's Neil Warren. Of course, it's going to be a long. One. There's there's a lot to there's a lot to pack in. So yeah, dude. So yeah, like I said, and. Uh, so yeah, like I said, that was kind of my introduction to, that was my introduction to, um, the idea of I can make these. And I watched that show for years and followed people. Um, Ryu Lim, uh, who was, I don't know. He was this little, like, I want to, I hope I don't say it wrong. I want to say he's Filipino. I could be wrong. Um, but he, uh, was making, he had a satellite dish for a, a coal forge on his episode. Oh. Uh, and I was like, this dude literally has nothing. Sure. You know, tool-wise. And he's a great maker. He makes really rustic historical things and all that kind of stuff and it's stuff from his from his growing up seeing is what he likes to make. You gotcha. know, so 
Um, and if you ever listen to this, I'm sorry if I got your origin country wrong, Ryu. You're awesome. Um, but he's a great dude also. You know, he helps teach people and all these things. But he was working with what he had, which is something. Then, I, of course, then I start listening to Knife Talk even before I started my first knife. And I'm like, and I think that was like right when Craig had kind of first started it. So I wasn't listening mm-hmm. to it a whole bunch. And I was like, oh, wow. So then I... Somebody, I, don't, I forgot what it was, but it was one of those things where it's just like something triggered in my head. I saw somebody make a railroad spike knife, and I was like, there's railroad spikes everywhere, dude. Like, I can do that. Sure. So a buddy of mine used to work for the railroad here locally. He gave me an 80-pound chunk of railroad track. Whoa. That's nice. my first anvil. There's your anvil. Yeah. And um, I had some railroad spikes. What I didn't have a way was a proper way to heat it up. So... I had found some bricks that are literally bricks from a uh, fireplace, like from a burnt down house and all that's left is a fireplace. Yeah. It's like, well, those stand up to heat. Sure. So I literally packed them together. Okay. Like made a little bitty tiny forge kind of thing and took a little Coleman green propane tank (gasps) and hooked up a propane burner to it and shoved it in that stack of bricks. And it was enough heat to heat up that railroad spike and get it or- almost orange, like it was red orange. And okay. it took All it right. took but it took forever to get heat out of it. Oh well, yeah. So I was like, Oh yeah, oh yeah. So the first time I pulled it out with with Jeff Fader's gonna love this, with vice grips. <laughs> Cause that's all I had, bro. Calm down. Sure, I got sure. I got tongs pretty quick, but you know, I learned fast. But so I pulled out with the vice grips, which I, I beat the cheeks off of because they are not made for impact. Right. And I hit this thing and it squished. It was like somebody reminded me of my youth instantly. Like, like those, those images start running through your head, you know, you know, like you had a vision quest. Yes. Like, 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 like I hit it, like I hit it and peyote dust came out and got in my nose. (laughs) And what you didn't know is that your buddy actually covered that stuff in, you know. Yeah, anthrax know. or something. Something, so, I don't know. <laughs> but no, so, <laughs> like, I was like, whoa. So, as a child, we had horses. My mom barrel raised and stuff. We had a farrier okay. that would come by, and he had an old school little baby forge, and he had a swing out, like a swing out thing for his forge, and he had a little anvil he would pop out there, and he would chew up the shoes and do all his thing, right? Mm-hmm. And I remember watching him at four years old, like that memory came back. I was like, wow. Then all of a sudden, like every wrought iron gate, every fence, every doorway with hammered hinges, every uh, drawer with a drawer pull that was blacksmithed out that I've seen throughout my entire life came flashing through my head. And it, I, and I always have said, I can do anything with these two hands. There's something uh, in this world that's meant for me that I can do with these two hands. Dude. And that was it. That was it. I was like, oh my God. this, this, that, that, I mean, the show didn't make me want to do it. The show reminded me it could be done. And then when I hit that piece of metal, it was like, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, it was the craziest thing. And you I was literally, like, oh. you literally had a vision quest. You literally had it all come back to you, and it's like something out of a cartoon. Like somebody yes. touches the anvil, touches yes. the ring of power, and all of a sudden yes. the, the, the history of the, of the world yeah. comes back to you. And all of a sudden, you just you know, 
Neil Warren is going to be Maximus Knives, and I yeah, will make um, the almost, best stuff almost. in the. Oh, sorry. sorry yeah, I'm um, myself. we didn't we didn't quite, <laughs> we didn't get quite there yet. Of course, like okay. most people, I started off making my own stuff, my own little things. I yeah. forged out little, you know, pieces of mild steel and all this kind of stuff just to work on shapes and, you know, how to move metal. I watched the Walter Sorrell's videos. I watched mm-hmm. Alex Steele. Um, Mareko had, I think he had, he, he was doing stories at the time more. And now I think he's gone back and, and kind of put him in highlights. But I was watching some of the stuff he was doing, like how to pull down a heel, how to, you know, because at first I'm like, why am I making bananas out of everything? You know, like, why is everything <laughs> curving this way? Well, sure. duh. You know, so I learned all those things, like how to how to forge the tips out, how to preform, how to do all those things. I started just like every single little thing I could learn. I couldn't get enough of. I still can't get enough mm-hmm. of it. And I, it's just and, and then the reality set in that this is a ancient trade that mm-hmm. people learned over thousands of years to do things i'm never going to learn it all and i yeah. and going back to my childhood remember the challenge the smart things that i, I loved to do those things because they challenged my brain mm-hmm. it was like yes yes this was that but supercharged you found the thing that you just hyper focused on and like you had to bring it all in you yes. had to do it and even if it's like little things like s hooks uh j hooks whatever um little pieces that's the only thing i've forged besides knives is just little piddly stuff sure i am i am working on turning a railroad spike into an octopus oh that's fun i've got a couple of fail i got one failed one one saved failed attempt um but it's i got the you know you get the mechanics of like step one step two down in your head um so i've got that kind of figured out now but uh, I just got to get some tools, <laughs> gotcha. but, but yeah. Um, but yeah, so it literally, it just came to me like that. And then of course I started making stuff and then people started asking me, can I make this? Can I make that? And I'm like, dude, I, I literally had that little stack of bricks and an angle grinder. Mm. That was it. Yeah. I mean, I cut everything to shape ground and everything. To, I use flap discs and everything for shaping my bevels. They were garbage. And yep. people started buying them, like I and I was selling them cheap. I wasn't coming out of the sure. gate selling stuff. I was selling like, I was selling like a six inch knife for like 150 bucks, you know, like a six inch go. bladed yeah. knife, like that I put a lot of work into, like I, I because I didn't have the tools. So like to get a polished bevel, I literally would sit in the floor with a sanding stick, and go through the grits up to three thousand, and polish a bevel. Let me ask you. So I, a lot of people who who I talk to and who I listen to on different podcasts, they get that feeling like Craig Lockwood does. Like when he when he was first making knives, he sells it. And then a couple months down the road, he's doing so much better. And he just wishes he could take that knife back and, you know, give them a better knife. What is your what is your thought process process on that? Oh, 100 percent the same. Okay. There, there's right. knives. There's knives that I've sold to people that even though I sold, but I did sell them cheap though. You know. Sure. So there is that. I mean, and I've had some people that have kind of fallen off my customer list because it's just not for them anymore. But they are 100% understanding and they agree that, well, yeah, your skill level is way higher now. Your fit and sure. finish is way better. The quality of product is way better. 
So yeah, it's going to demand more money, and that's just how it goes. I mean, it yeah. is what it is. You know, it's a natural progression of any type of any e- type. Exactly. Of so I mean, Whether at least it, I, I haven't dealt with any of those. Who do you think you are, people? I'm like, I'm on Netflix, wow. bitch. I'm on Netflix. What? <laughs> no, I'm playing. I'm playing. I'm on. I'm playing. Speaking but, of yeah. Netflix, let's go ahead and talk about your your experience with Forge and Fire. Oh, <sighs> I would go first <laughs> off. I will. I will preface preface it preface it preface it preface it with this. I would go back in a heartbeat. I had a great, great time. Editors are stupid. So the <laughs> the thing that happened on that show was um, a few things happened to where it was just kind of hard. Uh, we couldn't get our own tools. We couldn't use our own tools, for example. Sure. Um, which makes a difference for me. I, I, I could not adapt to their hand hammers very quickly. Um even what though kind I have, of hammers did they use? Like what, they have what was the it? big this big blue brand. Okay, Big Blue has the power hammers, but they do have hand hammers also. They oh, have I didn't a pro- realize that. right. They have a production line, and then they have a forged forged line. Um, I do have one of their forged hammers that a uh, my one of my best friends bought for me because he believed in me that much. Um, at a knife show, like we were there and they were there and I was like, oh my God, and look at, you know, it was a straight peen. I needed a straight peen. He was like, you want it? I'm like, hell yeah, I want it. And he just whipped his credit card out. I was like, bro, I almost started crying. I literally teared up. Like, but he's one of my best friends since like school, you know I mean? He's awesome dude. Sure. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was super cool. And having a real hammer like that, cause I was using Harbor Freight garbage, it, it made a difference. It was a game changer for, you know, how I could hammer and move metal and all that kind of stuff. So, um, but yeah, like I say, they didn't, they didn't have any of the forged quality stuff there. They had all the production garbage. Um, it's not garbage. I shouldn't say that. They are just, they're just their handle shapes and the, the head weights and everything. It was just weird. It was awkward. I was in a hurry. I kept forgetting to take my glove off. So it'd be flopping around and stuff, you know? Um, but I loved being on the show. It was a ton of fun. I, I don't remember seeing anybody doing anything. I don't even remember seeing camera people mm. for the most part um, because I was so focused on like, okay, step one, this, step two, this, you know. I was just going through making a knife and fast as I could. <laughs> sure. And some of the stuff they left out, like I suck at welding. I can mm-hmm. weld good enough to make weld stick in the forge to where I can forge weld and then I'm good from there. Okay. Um, so, you know, if anybody's watched the episode, we had to take a 10 pound hammer. We had to make a 13 to 15 inch blade, not overall, but blade length. And it had to be under two pounds. So I just kind of eyeballed it and went, well, you know, a quarter of this is going to be about two pounds. So I went to chop off that, um, had a little debacle that they should have shown on TV. Cause it was hilarious where I was trying to plug in the angle grinder to use the cutoff wheel because that was the last resort because I'd already eaten the teeth off the porta band mm-hmm. and I kept plugging it in it wasn't working I was like what the heck and I plugged it in it wasn't working and then I hear you're using the wrong plug from everybody up at the top and every time <laughs> I was plugging it in the porta band light was coming on because I was oh. plugging that in so swap the plugs it worked cut it off yeah. we're good I was actually the second in the fire okay. um so I, because if I, I remember on the show, it showed you like being last in pretty much everything. Right. So that's why I was like, they edited it so stupid. They should have actually had the legit timeline and then been like, you know, you can still be doing like this and still not, still not do good, you know, still not get to the end. Sure. But so like I was second in the fire 
and I and I <laughs> I bring the the metal out on a you know typical rebar weld it to the end there you go and I run over to the press because that's what I was comfortable working with big blue quite frankly scared the crap out of me I'd never used a power hammer and yeah. that thing is it it it, it beats slams. it beats yeah it's it's crazy and so I run over there and I throw it up in the press I start to squish it out and I see the weld breaking loose and I was like crap mm. So I flipped it over and threw a nubbin at the end of it. So I would have something to grab with tongs. Okay. Then I, I, you have the way you have to carry it around there and stuff. It's kind of weird, but no, it's weird to me because I don't carry stuff like that around my forge. But so I dropped it low and then swung it up into the forge and literally like laid it up in there and then pulled the stick out because the well broke. Mm. Like it was, it was on, it was on the, <laughs> it was ready to flop around the floor, you know? Gotcha. And so, yeah, I got that in there, grabbed some tongs, went on with my stuff. Um, the kid next to me, I say kid because he was 18, he kept knocking his damn bricks off. He burnt a hole in my pants, which I still wear those <gasps> pants to work. Yeah, luckily I was wearing my, my work boots that I wear to work because it literally bounced up. This hot <gasps> fire brick bounced up and hit my, like, like where my calf would be. Oh my God. And like, and like kiss. I'm like, bro. <laughs> He's like, sorry, Yo. man. You know, but I, well, I wasn't mad at him. It was just like, dude, but he kept knocking him off. Talk but, about uh, a wake up call. Holy shit. Dude. Yeah. It was, I was dancing, dude. I was like, come on, man. And everything. I got so used to it that I was looking for it to happen. And yeah. like, he would knock one down and I would just scoot it over for him. Like I would just scoot it under, you know, I'll just move it out of the way, you know, sure. like, you know, whatever we're doing the damn thing. So it was fun. Um, the other thing was, is they don't clean their forges out. So there was like a lot of flux goop. Yeah. So it was like glass on the inside and oh. it was like sticking to my blade was sticking in there and stuff. It was, it was whatever. Mm. But yeah, I was actually the first to quench. Not only was I the first to quench in reality, if you watch on the show, there's holes in my tang. I had already put in my pre bevels, okay. normalized it drilled holes in the tang and then went over and quenched it and put it in a straightening jig and went and had some, went and had some uh, sports drink while it was cooling off mm -hmm. and let it sit in the straightening jig till I could touch it with my bare hands. And then went back over to the grinder and started grinding all stupid on it. But that's the thing. That's the thing. They don't talk about, you know, you being ahead of the clock, you right. know, I looked well, up. Well, that's that's the thing with these shows, though. They need to make the most drama and the most, you know, whatever. Yeah, and yeah. they know ahead of time. Well, they're going to knock you off, so they've got to make it, you know, make they it so that that's it doesn't feel like it was, you know, just out of nowhere. Neil's going to be the one that's gone. Right. Well, that's the thing is they don't know ahead of time. It's legit as far as the judging and all that stuff. It's a hundred percent legit. Oh yeah, for sure. But I'm talking about the editor is kind of knowing this oh, is where the, we well, need to get, so we need to make this guy look worse than he was. No, right? Yeah, when it gets to the editors, yeah, yeah, yeah. In the moment, no, but yeah, once it gets to the editing room, because it took like three months before it came out. Sure. So yeah, once it gets to the editing room, it's just up to however they however they want to do it. You know, like people have talked about Todd Harrington, everybody's favorite chef. Right. Um he's been on chef cooking shows and they made him look like a dickhead and he is not, he's a super, super awesome guy. Super One of great the guys, dude. Another guy that I talk to very, uh, very, you know, all the time. Oh and yeah. He's a great guy. I, I haven't sat down and actually watched his episodes. I feel like, I feel like I need to do that. I haven't either, but at the same time, it's like he, he, he kind of thinks about it the same way I do, like with forged and fire. Like some people are like, dude, you didn't win. Why are you so like, ooh, wow about it? I'm like, cause it was fun, bro. Sure. Like 
they didn't make it seem, they made it seem like I kind of flopped, but I didn't. I, I didn't to the extent where Dave Baker came out and talked to me about my process and how he liked what I, what he saw me doing and all that kind of stuff. I mean, so sure. that was a win for me. I got to talk with Dave Baker about things. You know, it was cool. I, yeah. I literally forged everything to shape. I barely had to grind or cut anything off. And I had drawn out a, a shape that I wanted to forge. And I forged a distal taper. I forged the shape in. I forged everything. So, you know, I didn't spend a ton of time grinding at all, which is fine, you know. And when I did get to the grinder, I started trying to add a fuller for no reason because I was already underweight. I don't know why I was doing a fuller. Well, that's one of the things. Recently, I did a YouTube video that was in the in the theme of Forge and Fire. Basically, right. I'm doing a collaboration with a couple of people, and everyone's making the exact same knife. And right. to kind of switch it up a little bit, I wanted to add a little bit of extra drama to the video, so I did it so that... You know, I, I gave myself three hours to to get up through heat treat and three hours from heat treat to finish knife. I ended yeah. up actually doing it in two hours and two hours, which was, right. you know, but I did probably three or four different things that were just stupid. And like thinking back to it, that was the dumbest. Like I, for instance, one of the things <laughs> that I did is I forged it to shape and I did, you know, I, I forged it damn near to shape. And then I, I, I normalized it and then realized before I heat treat this, I need to put the holes in it, but right. it's, but it's normalized. It's not heat treated yet. And for some reason in my, in my monkey brain, I, I got a little steel pail that I use and I filled that with water and I, I did, I basically made it so that the tang was only sticking out and I mm. heat, I was heating it up because I was thinking like, it's, it's hard. I need to anneal this thing down so I can, I can put the holes through. Mm-hmm. And then realize about halfway through it, like, wait a second, this thing isn't heat treated yet. What am I doing this? <laughs> <laughs> right. And then I went over to the thing and started on high speed steel, which, you know, of course did the, like, it, it was having a hard time because of the forge texture. Right. And it wasn't really getting through. And then I was like, well, why aren't I using my solid carbide bit? So I pulled out the solid <laughs> carbide bits and just whipped right through it because it's it's carbide. Right, and there's right. when you're doing a rush thing like that, you, you naturally make stupid mistakes. It's not that you're a dumb guy or you're a bad knife maker. It's just the pressure gets to you or the clock gets to you. And that, and that was the whole thing. Like I literally, I had, they don't like brute to forge finish because they even said it themselves before we started filming. They can't see if there's a crack or not. And I'm like, oh. first off, you know, I'm going, you got a master smith sitting here. You got a, a weapons recreation guy. Like, you're not going to sit there and tell me you don't know if there's a crack in something, by the way it sounds when you quench or when you when you smack it on something. You know what I'm saying? And they temper them overnight. Right. Like, so you quench it and then they put them in tempering ovens at the, at the end of filming, you come back the next day and it's ready for finishing up. And that was my whole thing is like, all I really needed to do was like knock the forge scale off. And I already had, like I had my bevels, I had my bevels all preset and ready to go to where all I had to do was come in the next day, finish my bevels up, put a handle on it. Right. And I already had it in my mind. I had a sneaky suspicion because it was such an easy first round. I'm like, I bet they're going to make us use those stupid wooden handles off those sledgehammers, which they did. And sure. I already had in my mind what I was going to do. I had drilled quarter inch holes. I was going to, you know, put the, the handles on. I was going to cut them out. I was going to sand the backside of the handle till mm -hmm. it shaped the contour. And I was going to put tubes through and peen the tubes over with five-minute epoxy also. Mm -hmm. So I would have had a mechanical and chemical you right. know, bond. 
and it would have had those like cool little holes all the way through it, which also gives you extra grip, yada, 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 yada. Sure. You know, so it would have like, and I could have done that in two hours, like with a breeze, oh, you know. Right. No problem at all. So I was like, yeah, cool. You know, and like say when they were talking about, you know, which I don't think they showed it, but he actually had asked me, is this something you think you can fix in the next round? I'm like, oh yeah, dude. Oh yeah. And something I've rarely told anybody, my Texan, my Texan almost came out. Okay. I did not want to get to the second round on anything less than my merit. Okay. But I was about a half a second away from opening my mouth and saying, well, I know it's not really pretty, but Jay can't break it. <laughs> I was literally, I was literally about to run off at the mouth, and I was like, "No, just no." That's that. That'll get you. Not only you know you're out, but also those guys won't like you now. No, 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 no. Jay likes a challenge. Oh. <laughs> when he was doing the batoning, he was using a metal pipe to begin with. So all sure. I can imagine him doing was like, because they were talking about batoning it through through a cane. And I'm sure. like. <laughs> go for it you know in yeah. my head i'm going yeah this thing will go through cane like it ain't no, no you know whatever and like i i got switch cane and stuff around here i test edges on all the time sure but like i said so in my head i'm going oh he's not going to be able to break this just but because he usually uses a wooden mallet to baton with but when i watched because i didn't see that second part of filming when i watched it he whipped out a metal pipe i was like oh shit you know yeah. if i would have opened my mouth he would have destroyed my blade on purpose you know like really i got a metal pipe son you know but yeah and the, the thing is is it's all it's all serendipitous kismet whatever you want to call it the final thing on that round was to make a hammer i would not have been able to make a hammer sure a, a polish war hammer like i was not set up for it at all it would have been it would have been a hot mess so i was like it's it's fine that and the way the filming worked out was the those three days we were in connecticut then it was like fly back. If you go to your home forge, you get one day. And then they come the, the second day. So it's like one day of rest kind of a thing. And then the second day they come, then you start filming for the finale. That one day was my son's birthday. Right. So right. instead of having to scramble and worry about getting the forge set up and all this other stuff, I got to relax and hang out with mm -hmm. my boy. So I was completely okay with that. Right. Completely okay with it. I had a great time. Me and the boys got a rental car and ran around Stanford, Connecticut on St. Patty's Day. And we <laughs> got we no trouble whatsoever. Got, we actually did not Didn't get in any trouble. Didn't drink a drop of alcohol. We no, were going nothing. to. We were going to, <laughs> but we had the 18-year-old with us. So luckily, uh, okay. if he wouldn't have been there, and I had a native New Yorker there too, uh, Mike oh, Baldino, who came in second. And Josh Fisher, which you met yep. at Blade Show, he came in first. Um Solid, great dudes. And Brian Hennis, he was the uh, young guy. And the funny thing was, is Mike Baldino, he hates me saying this, but I call him little Mike Baldino because he's like 5'5". Five five, and I'm six foot, and Josh is like 6'2", and Brian was like 6'3", six, 6'4". Six, and we're all crammed in a Mini, uh, a mini Cooper Countryman. <laughs> like a clown car. Oh, it was I can great. just imagine it. Oh, dude, and we were playing like '80s music, and oh, it was great '80s rock, and the windows oh, were down, kind of, and it was. Oh, dude, we were having a good time. We were having a yeah. great time. We were just tearing up the town. We drove around downtown Stanford like three or four times, trying to find somewhere to eat, trying to sure. figure out how to park, and it was it was crazy. We ended up at this little like the old Streamliner Diner, mm -hmm. where they just serve all kinds of food. It was it was oh, it was a great experience. I could not ask for a better group of guys to go have a dinner out in Connecticut with. It was great. 
I feel like this great. this still brings me back to your Texas heart of gold, where it's like most people who go there and they they kind of do you dirty in the in the editing. But you still feel like, you know, you probably could have made it through on your merit and you feel like, you know, you you definitely should have gone on. I mean, you're you're looking for those positives. You're still looking for the, oh, well, you know, I wasn't set up for that, you know, hammer. Oh, well, I had a great time. I met some great people. And you're still walking away with a overall positive experience from something that most people when they go on and it doesn't work out for them. I don't know that I could go there and have them do me dirty like that and not feel like, oh, well, screw these guys, you know? Well, the thing is, is I know the reality. You know what I'm sure. saying? I know in my heart and what the truth is. So anybody else's opinion of they saw something on TV and actually believed it, that's their idiocy, not mine. Sure. You know, so if anybody's going to judge me or my work based on a show, Step, step to the anvil, man. Let's go. You know, like I said, I, I, I'll, I'll knock it out in a heartbeat. It doesn't matter. I mean, I do a lot of stock removal knives because in this area and the people I end up a lot of times talking to, they don't want to pay the extra coin right. for a finished product to not be that different when it comes to mono steel, unless right. they want, like say, like you offer forge texture. I can say, hey, if you want texturing on it, I can charge you like twenty bucks more, and I'll slap it with a knife. I mean, slap it with a hammer on the knife. Yeah. You know. That was one of the things that I had a hard time start to offer forge texturing instead of fully forged because like you said it's it's not it it's pretending as if it was forged to shape when it's but definitely you're, but not. But you're being but you're being honest, you're being honest to the customer. Yes. But if they yes. want that look right. That, and that's the thing is I tell people look I will give you options for the finish on the knife. Do you want this? Do you want that? Most people love the mustard patina which I did learn from Jeff Fader. I yep. literally DM'd Jeff Fader and don't expect to DM Jeff Fader and get answers. Right, right. First off. Right. But you got to do it with class and you got to do it the right way. Don't just yes. be like, hey, man, tell me your secret. Right. I I know how to talk to people. <laughs> you know, oh, shoot. And, what, what is it that he called them? The the smash and grab people. You can't. Yeah. Like, guys. no, don't, 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 don't think you're going to do that. You know, he's a busy dude. Come with respect. Come with some class. Come with some couth. And you I feel might like it's, get an answer. you know, it's, it's not just Jeff Fader. You should, you should live your life in that style overall. Uh, that you should, you should absolutely, but people don't. So, right, right. but that's the whole thing that you want the secret to life. Try to spin a positive on everything you can. Trust me. I don't always, <laughs> I've been through plenty of depressed, depressing episodes and stuff, especially lately, but yeah, no, like you, if you can't keep a smile on your face somehow, then you'll get ate up and spit out in today's world. So you gotta, you gotta try to keep it, keep it good, you know, keep it positive Dude. as much as possible. I mean, even I hold the record for the only person to ever get unblocked by Mareko Mamasi. <laughs> You're the guy. I'm the that guy. That's been brought up a couple times on the show. You're I'm the guy. I'm the guy, you know, which is great because now, like I follow his patron and stuff like that. And he's got like a secret little discord and stuff. It's really cool. And I've kind of, I'm not going to say made a bond with Mareko per se, but I can chat with him from time to time without getting the cold shoulder, which is great. But right. again, I don't come with like an answer I can Google, you sure. know, like our, our question I can Google like, like super easy it's like look i've tried to find this out i can't find this out can you help me just like right. two seconds please you know so it's one of those things where you just gotta you just gotta be a good person it's not you know it's so much easier to be a good person than, than a shithead see like, that's it, that's it really another is. thing like 
first of all in in the you know realm of things you are always the most positive person on anything like if you go on one of your lives there's never you know bitching complaining about so so and so or oh well i had a ter terrible time doing that of course you can tell a story about it but you always have a positive spin on things well i appreciate that i, I try to like I say i try to make that you know I, okay like you stayed with me at blade show yeah I rented that house, right? Like, yes, I did. set that up, right? Mm -hmm. A lot of people don't know that, you know, yes, I did tell people they could pay to stay there because I couldn't afford to just give away the space, you know, but I didn't recoup all my money. Mm -hmm. But where did I sleep, Brian? Did I say <laughs> I want the master? Did I, did I get the master bedroom? No, you did not. Where did I sleep? You slept on the floor, man. On couch or cushions. On the couch cushions, yeah. On, but yeah. on the floor. Right. Yeah. See, I, you're the you're the type again. This and I'm not Texas trying to brag. I'm not trying to brag about what I did. That's just no, how but I again, am. Again, this just proves how much of a great guy you are. You paid for the place and you slept on the floor on couch yeah, cushions. Yeah, most people would because have been you like, wanted you wanted to make sure that everyone was having a great time. Like when when we the first day when we had everybody over and we had you know we had dinner, you cooked for us. You made it happen. Like. You you are the type of guy that, you know, you are more worried about everyone else before you're worried about yourself. Yeah. And there's people in this world that don't think that about me and I can't figure it out. I'm like, that's how that's me all the time. Right. I, and but yet they don't see that because they say I do it for everybody else, but not them or whatever. And yada, yada, yada. That's why they're called an ex. But um, <laughs> but yeah, so it's just one of those things where it's like, you know, that's how I try to be, you know, with people all the time. And some people don't see it. That's fine. I don't try to talk about it. I don't bring it up, but it's just, it's the reality of how things go. Most people wouldn't have been like that. They'd have been like, I rented the place. I'm getting the master bedroom. Right. Be lucky. You got a place to stay. That's way cheaper than anywhere else. Right. You know, kind of attitude. Like if you got to sleep on the floor, you better bring a air mattress or whatever. Like, like, yeah, no, you know, I mean, even Todd didn't really have a place to stay, but he stayed there one night, you know, like yes, he didn't really did. have a place to sleep. And, you know, I'm, I, I'm, and I would have bunked up with anybody. If somebody would have been comfortable enough, like, yeah, sure. You know, like bunk up in the bed, like, you know, that's fine. But it's just one of those things where I just, like you said, I, I wanted to do that. I could have just taken my money, got a hotel room and stayed there. You know right. what I mean? Like just me and maybe a couple of people. But I wanted it to be a fun experience. I wanted more people. Like I told you multiple times before Blade Show, you're going to go to Blade Show. You know, <laughs> come hell or high yeah. water, one way or another, if I had to do a raffle, if I had to, you know, whatever, like you say, and I got that place so people like you that were trying to pinch things and make it happen could get there without having to spend, you know, $100 plus a night on a room versus, right. you know, 100 and some change for the whole weekend. You know, so... Like I said, and that's what I felt like it was a good thing to do. And it's already come back like tenfold for me. So I'm I'm okay with that, you know. Not necessarily monetarily, but just I'm saying like with people and experiences and things and and it was just great. I mean I, I I'm definitely going next year, I'll tell you that. You know that's for damn sure. You know I feel like the move next year is to try to get as many Airbnb houses in a row and try to keep row, everyone yeah nice and centralized so that we can you know all you know first of all we can make family meals like we did that first day yeah and like the the conversations in the morning like getting ready and you know 
even like when you get home and you're still talk like still those... drunk and talking. <laughs> right. But <laughs> we need that's... to go home and go to bed. Okay, so it's four AM and we're still talking about knives. What the hell? I didn't I didn't <laughs> go to Blade Show thinking I'm gonna go and like see the coolest things and, you know, experience Blade Show. I was going there to make the the, the biggest thing from Blade Show that I took away was the relationships and the like meeting people face to face, the in depth conversations that you just can't get over online. I got and, a hug. I got a hug from Matt Stagmer in the pit. <laughs> I did. Oh, man. <laughs> All right. No. So on the way, I mean, we're we're an hour and a half in. I feel like we should probably start tuning this thing down. Another thing that I was very, um, again, you know, if you want to not talk about this, feel free to be like, hey, uh, we'll take a pass on it. But one of the things that I found just totally heartwarming is when you told the story on how you came up with Maximus Knives. Okay, yeah, we'll talk about it. And okay. It already made me tingle, so. Here's know, the I'll thing. To... Here's the thing, guys. This is something that Mac, or Neil does not talk about very often. And this, I mean, right now I'm remembering the story and I'm getting goosebumps. Well, okay. So I'm going to not interrupt you at all. Feel free to tell whatever story you want to tell. Okay, so to, I'm going to try to make it as easy as possible. Um, okay, so I start making knives. I start selling knives, and everybody's like, well, what's my brand going to be, right? Most mm -hmm. people just like, let me come up with a whatever. It could be part of their name. It could be something, um, some sort of saying. It could be almost anything um, if you want it to sound cool. I've had a lot of people tell me that Maximus Knives sounds cool. I'm like, well, I appreciate it. Mm -hmm. um, my son, who just, uh, he's 12, almost 12 and a half, mm -hmm. um, is, he was diagnosed with autism and ADHD, I believe, um, added on top of that. Uh, he never even said, I love you until he was like seven because like his speech and sure. his communications kind of behind with all that. Um, his middle name is Maximus. So knowing that he might not ever, maybe, I don't know, but he, he may never have any way to have any sort of legacy of his own. I was like, well, I feel so drawn to do this forever now that I mm -hmm. want to name it something that's going to tie into him and try to make the best quality I can because it's tied to my son's name sure and because i love him that much it's like i want to everything that goes out to have a piece of him with it to go to other people's families so that they can have stuff to hand down to their kids and maybe inspire them i don't know um he comes out to the forge every now and again and he can't he won't stay long but he loves what I do. He loves seeing my stuff. He's even told me to go out and make stuff before in his own way. Like, you know, basically shove me out to the shop, like go make something cool and bring it to me. And mm -hmm. he's a great kid. He's a sweet kid, but he's also quite large and sometimes hard to handle when he's having a fit. Um, I mean, cause he's, he's almost six foot tall and he's 12 and a half. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah. So to, to start a brand and not do it, halfway um to have the idea that this is something i'm gonna do for the rest of my life and and have it mean something that's the only way i could think to leave a legacy of any kind for him 
that he could be proud of, that he could say, yeah, my dad did that. And yeah, my middle name is Maximus, mm-hmm. which means greatest. Right. Um, so to do stuff that is half-hearted is not in me when it comes to doing things like that. That's why even basic little orders might take me a little bit longer to do because if I'm not in the right headspace, if I if it's 120 at 9 p.m. in the shop, I can't I can't physically focus well enough to make the product, even if it's just a small little what I call my Supernova two, which is a small little EDC. Sure. Um, you know, I, I don't want to make those, and then the bevels are crooked. You know, because it's a kind of a scandy grind and stuff. It's it's easy to kind of make your bevel wobble. You know, because mm-hmm. it's a curve and stuff. And, and like I said, I don't want to be in the wrong headspace or anything like that. So if I got to take a few extra days or whatever to make something, most people are, are pretty on point with it. But like I said, I don't want stuff. I'm not going to sell anything. I might give away something that's double stamped or something like that. But I'm not going to sell anything out of my shop that's that's not up to par with something that I would want to tie to my son. Mm. You know, so that's basically the summarization of it, like how Maximus Knives came to fruition as a, a brand, if you will. Um, because, like I said, I'm still working on it to be a legitimate business and things like that. Um, you know, even part-time. Like I said, I'd love to go full-time, of course. Who wouldn't that does this? Right. Um, that way I could work, you know, when it's super hot out, I could just switch to night shift, you know, <laughs> and, and do stuff when it's, you know, cooler out. But, uh, but yeah, so that's where Maximus Knives comes from. And if you've never been around a child like that, it's, it's, it's awe inspiring in a way, because even though they're not quote unquote normal, what they can do is amazing. So, you know, it's just one of those things, like say, I, I, I try to do what I can to honor him and to, cause I'm not, I'm not a perfect person, you know? Nobody in this world really is, but to have such an innocent, like an innocent child, um, to be able to look up to something that I'm doing, Mm. I, that's all I can, that's all I can think to do, you know? So yeah, that's, that's basically, that's, that's it. That's where Maximus (laughs) Knives came from. Yeah. I'm trying to, I'm trying to keep myself from breaking down and and going too (laughs) deep into it. Cause I get, I get a little, a little soft when it comes to my son. That's, that's about the, uh, only person on earth I would, I would drop a nuke to the core to to you know do anything for kind of a thing so i hear you neil i totally hear you and i feel like it just ties back in with the the texas heart of gold i am so happy that you were able to jump onto this podcast with me i appreciate you to the core thank you so much for being such a positive influence on this space the knife making community loves you neil thanks for coming on I appreciate you, man. I appreciate you having me on the, the maiden voyage here. I hope it, <laughs> I hope it does good for, for midweek fill-ins or whenever they come out. So um, all right, I'll be man. looking forward to hearing all the other interviews with all the other great people I'm sure you're going to have on. Yeah, thank you so much. Guys, everyone, check out Maximus Knives on Instagram, Facebook, and pretty much everywhere out there. Thank you guys for listening. I appreciate you all, and thank you guys. Have a good one. We'll see y'all later. Y'all take it easy.